With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey everyone, Tennis.com podcast, second week of the season. I'm Ed McGrogan here with Steve Tigner, Pete Bodo, our two tennis gurus. Steve will be down in Melbourne actually in just a couple days, um, have a lot for the Australian Open of course. Pete will be here stateside, staying up late and uh, doing, you know, Everybody will be up late in some capacity, but that's how it's going to be. Uh, and for this week here, we're going to look back at the past uh, weekend of tournaments, the first five events of the year, look a little ahead to this week that uh, preludes the big slam first of the season. And the big part, big takeaway from this weekend, I felt, was the three men's champions are Milos Raonic, Joel Fritzsonga, Andy Murray, um, they may be actually the three men most likely, uh, the three slamless men who maybe are the best players not to have won one. Actually. No, wait a second, Eddie. What about Soderling? What about Berdick? What about Ferrer? Rayonich is a kid. He's twenty-one years old. That's they're old. That's that's too. That's in the past. Who knows? <laughs> right, they're over. Yeah, it's. Uh, but all of of these three guys, we can start talking about whoever you want. Um, maybe who had the best weekend of these three, in in your guys' opinion. I think Murray. I think Murray had the best week because he got off on a right foot with his coach Yvonne Lendl. I think you know Lendl is uh, that's that's been a very 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 big addition. I think to to, to Murray's thing. He's you know here's a guy who went from having like really low key who is this guy in quotes kind of coaches to getting one of the one of the most successful Grand Slam champions and a guy who actually re- remade himself in a way not too dissimilar from the way Murray needs to remake himself. Do, do you think Glendale really gives Murray a lot more credibility in that respect because we're not talking about like his friend Miles McClagan or his mother Judy Murray in this corner? Well, yeah, that's that's what happens, I think. you know. Now suddenly it's kind of like a shot fired across the bow of all the other players saying, okay, I've got a different guy. I'm going to be a different – he's saying I'm going to be a different player. I'm going to make some changes, and you could look for a new – a new wave out of me kind of, and that, you know, that, that puts fear into other guys, you know, minds and they're, or they're wondering about him now, you know, regardless of everything else. But I do think also that Lendl will bring a lot to the table in this partnership. I think the one main thing that Lendl will bring, well, you know, we'll find out what technical changes or, or whatever strate- strategic changes he wants to make, but just for Murray to have a guy like Lendl to, to sort of play for, to see in his box, to, to look up to, I think that's a big deal for for a guy like that. When when Roddick hired Connors, I think half of the reason that they he had a little positive bump there for a while is just just the fact that hey, this guy believes in me. I want to play well for this guy. Um, that's right. There's a certain amount of pressure even that comes you know, comes with that. That's a good thing. Here's Yvonne Lendl's. You know, he's he's watching me. He's he has expectations. Someone to answer to. So yeah, um, 
and that's something new for Murray. He did, you know, we'll see how it goes. That didn't go so well when he had Brad Gilbert. They, you know, he they made some improvements, but it didn't end really well. Uh, we'll see what what their relationship ends up being like. But I liked Murray's game this this weekend. Dolgopolov in the final was hurt, but but Murray seemed to be going for more on the forehand. That's the one place where he could make some improvements. Lendl obviously had a great forehand, so that's you know that's something to look for. And, and you know, Lendl the... had a real Go cut ahead. to the chase mentality. You know, Lendl was Lendl was the ultimate logical, you know, like what are you doing that for? You know, kind of guy. He, you know, he really pared his game down, made the most of his assets. Very logical, very actually very cold, cold thinking kind of a you know guy. If if you could have crunched numbers at that time the way they do today and come up with algorithms for how to play, Lendl would have tried it. So and I think Murray can use that because Murray screws around a lot. Lendl was playing the big game, sort of. For also, his, for, yeah. I think Lendl is Lendl was a, in his way was a really positive player. He tried everything. He just he didn't. You know, there wasn't a lot of of angst to his game the way the way somebody like John McEnroe had and the way Murray has. Lendl just went about if he had a problem, he tried to solve it. He used any way he could to get better. Right. And that's you know, that's something he can instill in Murray. Yeah, those were you know what you were saying with Dolgopolov there, he played Murray played Tomich in the semis. Those are players that um a play, a crafty player like Murray could get into these one of these really heavy rally games. We did take down both those guys pretty convincingly, and that's a strong sign for him in that partnership there. I think Lendl actually may have been in attendance for the... Uh, he was the fun, there. The fun, yeah, I don't think it was the beginning of the week, but he was there by the end. Um, for Sanga and for Rayonich, uh the Sanga match actually happened a few days ago by now. The way the tournaments are staggered, some of them ended on Saturday, some on Sunday. Kind of depending where you are, you may think they've ended Friday, but um, but Rayonich, his was the last final to wrap up, and he beat Tipsarovic in a um, in an Agassi Sampras type score six seven seven six seven six. No breaks to serve in that match. Um, I, I wrote about that on today's opening column, the first serve, and I asked a little about Rayonich. Um, some people responded about his you know really viability this year, future years. Eric T about Rayonich says. You know, among those three players, Sanga, Rayonich, Murray, he says where where Rayonich ranks first is in the mental game. He seldom gets smoked in his losses. I wouldn't bet on him winning a slam before Murray or Sanga, but I would bet that he'll win more of them during his career due to his superior mental attitude. And obviously, in a match like that where there's no breaks, the mental game is pretty much as important as the. Uh, you know, as a physical game. So this is a really nice start for Rayonich, of course, who had this kind of start last year and then just really kind of derailed by injury at the end. I think one thing watching that match is he he beat a guy who's in the top 10, Rayonich, but even though he went 0 for 9 on break points, he still managed to win that match. That's pretty good for a, for a young player. I think he, he benefits the way Sampras and Isner benefit from just having that serve to go back to. I think that makes them, makes him a good competitor, not just Beyond the fact that the serve will win him points, it also allows him to relax a little bit. He knows he can get to tiebreakers and win those types of matches. Maybe he wasn't even maybe was even outplayed a little bit by Tip Sarovich, but he but he he won in the end. And all three of those guys have the second serve to back up their first serve too. He's just going to have to basically wait to um, you know wait for his moments. He's, he'll get two or three moments in every set when basically he can make the set turn around. As long as he takes care of his serve, he'll get two or three chances on the other guy's serve in almost every match to do something. And and once he gets in that mindset and starts thinking that way, he's going to be really really dangerous. One thing watching that match that I was thinking about, I never want to see Isner and Brownich play at Wimbledon. <laughs> that match would never end. 
Yeah, yeah, he only plays Mahout at Wimbledon. Just though. start it in the fifth happen. set. Just <laughs> start it six all in the fifth. Yeah, it's uh, you know, plenty of aces from Raonic. This whole he didn't he he actually did not lose a service game the entire week. Um, he had over thirty in the final aces. Thirty five aces. Thirty five aces, and I just checked his ranking now. He's number twenty five. So. I believe the cutoff for the, I believe the seedings for the Aussie Open, they came out today. I think that would have factored into it. So he should be, um, he should avoid one of those possible Djokovic Raonic first round, you know, mm-hmm. possibilities that can happen with a player as good as him impacted by injury. Djokovic Raonic first round, that would be kind of funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think of Djokovic, actually, the only player who didn't, um, is not going to play for the Aussie Open? And unlike Federer and Nadal, who both didn't have the best of weeks in Doha, is. Any thoughts on Djokovic because I did of see him how he ended his year going in, in this year? In Abu Dhabi. It was just an exhibition, but he did play Federer, and he beat him easily. And just the way he was playing reminded me of the way he played at the Hopman Cup last year, the exhibition before the Australian, before he went on to win the Australian. He was very loose. Uh, you know, granted, it's an exhibition, but he seemed to be totally back physically, you know, back in shape and, and, and hitting the ball really well. You watch, though. I tell you, I'm, li- I'm liking the way Tsonga's playing. I thought he was... I, I don't. I've never seen a big man, including Sampras, you know, hit the heck out of the serve the way he does, blast that big forehand, and then come in and hit these touch volleys from the tops of his shoes. I mean, the guy is unbelievable. He really is. The volley is always he, surprising with him, and they're all he can he can hit some incredible. He beat yes, the, he beat Nadal at the Australian one year with that shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm. I watch out for him. You know, you know, coming back. You go back to the 2008 final when he beats Djokovic. That was a very very tight final. You know. It could have gone either way, and uh, it would it would be really interesting. I don't know how they're going to end up in the draw there, or but it's going to be very interesting to see if they have a rematch because I think Tsang is a different player this year. I think he's been a different player for about eight months now, and I'm, I'm just loving that guy's game. He's so. definitely of the you know one of those top four is of course going to get him in the draw. Um, that's probably the biggest real um, concern for one of them. The other quarters. Yeah, it's gonna just end up in one of them. You know, Ferrer, I think we, who made the semis last year, there actually, who's of course improved a lot, I think, too since that time. But Sanga is really the big. Um, where does he land? Because Sanga really has beat all of these guys at some one point or another in their career. So it's you know that's one, that's one a big thing, thing of the draw. It's interesting to me about him is um, this is the first, probably the first extended period where he hasn't been injured. That that just seems like something where. You know, finally we get to see him build on yeah, some success. Yeah, what he could have been and should have been in, in some ways. Right, right. Yeah. You know, we, we forget him because he disappears, and then we think, oh, yeah, he's, he's he's been around 18, number 12, number 16, and, yeah, he's good, but he doesn't. No, it's, I think I think he's he's changed some. And you know what? I, the one thing I really like about him, too, vis-a-vis Djokovic specifically, is I don't, he's got the abilities and the tools not to get into these slugging matches with Djokovic, unlike in Nadal. Nadal's either going to, you know, win the rallies or he's not. Right. Uh, and last year we saw what happened. But with Joke, which Tsonga, I think he could take it to another level and actually take away the rally game a little bit from Djokovic and from anybody else, actually. But against Djokovic particularly, I think it could be useful. The uh, the women, the, the takeaway from last weekend um, for the women is not the winners of the tournaments. Those were um, Zhangji, Kaya Kanepi. It was... The players who didn't win didn't even advance to the final. It was Serena and Kleisters. Both were in Brisbane. Both, um, both either withdrew or pull, pulled out of the tournament for injury reasons. I think that's what you uh, see as the big news of that weekend. This week, um, 
strange enough, a week before Grand Slam, you get this incredible draw in Sydney with top 10 of the top 11 players. I think, I really think the only way this happens is because it's the beginning of the year and players don't have all this mileage under their belt. It's not like you would see um, that kind of a draw the week before the U.S. Open or example. But uh, this is a pretty, this is as strong a field as you're going to see all year, really, for the women. And it's a 32-player draw, really, really Tom matches right off the bat, and you actually looked at that, Steve, today in a little preview. Yeah, the big, um, I guess the big story is people were hoping for, looking for, is Kvitova, Petra Kvitova, to play Wozniacki in the final or to, to win the tournament and over, overtake her for number one, which would be a weird situation for the Australian Open if Kvitova could be the number one player in the world and the second seed at the Australian Open. The seeds at the Australian Open have already been made, and Wozniacki's number you one. You've got to celebrate, too, I think, frankly. <laughs> Very weird. Get Wozniacki out of there. <laughs> right. Um, but that, you know, so it already has a significance more than your average um, tune-up tournament, just from, just from that fact. It's interesting how different the men and women are, isn't it? You know, the, the men are all laying low and it's like a hang, very, it's a very minor, as you were saying, Steve. It's a, it's not even close to the level of stature or the women's draw in there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The men this week, it's it, it's not too much. Del Potro is um, he's he's playing this week, but like I said, the attention is certainly on the women here. The only one who's not playing is is Sharapova, who is still has had some. Um, it was Injury a shoulder issues. from the um, dating back to WTA championships and it was ankle. She, ankle. she turned probably. her ankle in Tokyo, and that still didn't, apparently wasn't right. But she's been she's apparently been in Sydney uh, uh, or Melbourne practicing, and seems to be good to go for the tournament. She might just be doing like a Serena that she's going to come out, which I'm not sure is very advisable for her. Yeah, um, we're gonna we're really gonna see um, what we get out of Serena Venus if she decides to play Kim Kleisters because of all the injuries here. So. Um, Certainly, kind of as always, a lot of uncertainty with uh, with the women here. But uh, well, it's good for us. I guess in the U.S. we care, but I mean, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of a shame because I like Venus Williams. But I mean, you know, where's her game been? You know, I mean, it's kind of funny. We're you know, we're mentioning her name in there with the contenders. You know, you could just as soon say Agnieszka Radwanska, and mm-hmm. you know, in some of these uh, Marion Bartoli and stuff because Venus's game, you know, it's she's she's got a lot of rebuilding to do and a lot of ground to win back to really be one of the top women. You know, it's a pity, like I say, but and especially because of her condition and stuff. But that's the reality, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll look at um, Sydney a little more this week on the next podcast as, as that develops. Like we said, that draw is really going to put a lot of the matches you're going to see late in the Australian Open, if uh, the seedings hold, of course. But and of course, Steve's picking Svetlana Kuznetsova to win. Both, <laughs> both is... Sydney and the Australian Open. Steve, back to back. What do you Sydney, think? What do you say? You're going to do it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to say that. I might have already said that to somebody. Um, I hope not. The Sydney Melbourne double. Remember always... that, folks. You always have something <laughs> to hold over his head. Yeah, I've got a lot. So yes, we'll we'll hear uh, all those picks and such this week with both of these two gentlemen. Like we said, Steve will be down in Melbourne. Uh, plenty from him, of course, through Are you the night. Podcast with Steve from Melbourne during the tournament. Every day, every day. So you'll uh, yeah podcast each night on his time to wrap it up. Be up by the morning. And he'll do two, three posts, do a little podcasting, do some tweeting, right? A lot of tweeting. Write some. Uh... <laughs> it's no matter how many characters, sleep. it's it, he'll he'll crank it out. We we have we're looking forward to it. So, um, tune in the next podcast. P. Boto, Steve Tigner, Ed McGrogan. Thanks for listening. 
You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.